0: I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, serving the Episcopal Church and Anglican Communion since 1878. Welcome to The Living Church Podcast. Okay, what happened at the Lambeth Conference? This week, we've got two bishops still relatively fresh from Lambeth, and they're coming in to share what they saw and heard for themselves. We will talk today about Resolution 110, we'll talk about missing provinces, we'll talk about the ministry of the Archbishop, practical takeaways, and how easy it is to get lost in the woods of Kent, apparently, and so much more. After all the important forecasting and reporting that gets done around the Lambeth Conference, We want to note this week the importance of presence, the sense of places and people that you only get by being there, the emotional impressions, the food, the weather, the silences, the tense moments, and moments that make you laugh. Both of these bishops that we have on the show today brought home a lot from the conference, from ideas to pamphlets to things to pray about things to be incredibly grateful for, they brought home a lot for themselves, for their communities, and both of these bishops have differing perspectives on some of the things that happened or how they felt about it or how it will affect the people that they serve. The diversity of where these bishops are coming from, of who they serve, and yet the striking commonality of what they experienced and what they're both grateful for. I found so enlightening and so enjoyable. We're going to hear today from the Right Reverend Dr. Joseph Wandera. Bishop Joseph is Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of Mumias, Kenya. He's also former professor at St. Paul's University in Lamuru, and he's served on various committees of the Anglican Communion. We'll also hear from the Right Reverend Jenny Anderson. Bishop Jenny is Rector at St. Paul's Bloor Street in Toronto. She's the former Area Bishop of York Credit Valley in the Diocese of Toronto and has served in Toronto for many years. She's also served in the Diocese of London and the Diocese of Tokyo. Now reheat your morning tea, add a fresh splash of milk, and then put it in your thermos because we are headed out to Lambeth Palace. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, Bishop Jenny.
1: Hi, Amber, sorry I'm late. Hi, Joseph, nice to see you.
2: Nice to see you, Jenny. Good to see you, how is your family?
1: Oh, they're doing well, thanks. We're getting everybody off to school and university this week. It's the beginning of the school year. I was going to say, it feels like I just saw you last week at Lambeth. So nice to see you again.
2: Thank you very much indeed, Jenny. Nice to connect again.
0: It's so fun and good to see you both on this call. I haven't yet seen this (laughs) convergence of worlds. So this is wonderful for me. That's fun. And Amber,
1: you're in the midst of transition at the Living Church. We'll be praying for you. It's a significant transition for
0: all involved. It is. Thank you. I appreciate both of your prayers. Well, Bishop Jenny, Bishop Joseph, thank you so much both for being with me today, first of all. A pleasure. Great to be here. And let's start with a little bit of light fare. So what was the most fun that you had at Lambeth? It could be a meal you enjoyed, a tour you had, maybe you went on a morning jog with some fellow bishops. What was, what was some fun that you had at Lambeth?
1: we're we're allowed to reveal on air.
0: You are allowed to reveal if there's anything you would not like to be public. I am happy to strike it from the record, (laughs) but I don't think that's coming.
1: No, Joseph, go for it.
2: Well, the, the setting was very beautiful. The, the University of Kent is an amazing campus full of trees. And mm. being there for those you know, several days was, was, was refreshing. Uh, it's a very large campus. I, I got lost twice in, in the night in, in the woods. Oh, and, no. and, and that was quite, <laughs> oh, dear. quite a bit of an adventure. <laughs> yes. Oh, um, dear. Of, of having to take long walks for dinner at different points and having to get back your room but but that was fun And, and also being away with my wife sometimes ministry is so overwhelming so being alone in the united kingdom it was amazing and very enriching indeed thank you
1: oh that's great i'm so glad to hear that joseph I got lost on the campus as well, and I couldn't even get Google Maps to figure it out for me. So I, I hear you. I think some of the most fun Tim and I had, my husband and I, was just meeting all the people and all the meals. And like every meal was like, guess who's coming to dinner? You didn't know which extraordinary person you were going to sit down and, and eat you know, breakfast with or lunch with or supper with. And, yeah. and I, I remember one lunch that was just really fun was the lunch when we were at Lambeth Palace for the day. And mm. uh, you'll know, remember, Bishop Joseph, we all had seating plans and we were seated next to Archbishop Justin Boddy of South Sudan. And I, I hadn't had a chance to get to know him before then. So, you know, mm. as a way to get to know him, I was like, oh, tell me about your children. And it turns out he's got sons of marriageable age. And I told mm. him that I have daughters of marriageable age.
0: Oh, no. Oh. And so <laughs> it was like, Never tell yes. an African parent of sons <laughs> that you have daughters of marriageable oh age.
1: I know. So we had so much fun, like planning the wedding of our children. So that was a a moment of lighthearted fun uh, that we really enjoyed.
0: Fantastic. And if that really goes anywhere, please let us know because we want to be invited (laughs) to this wedding. (laughs) Well, this episode, we're going to go back to a conversation that I had a few weeks ago with David Goodhue and Andrew Goddard when we were talking about what Lambeth was trying to do this year, what it might do, what it might try to do, but fail to do and what we could hope for. So I want to return to some of these points with the both of you and see, since you were there from your different perspectives, what you saw happen and what you think and how you've been feeling about it. So let's just jump right in to one of the big headlines, which was the. Our Archbishop Justin's handling of the Communion's division on human sexuality and not just how he was handling it, but I'd also love to hear from you guys how people were responding on the ground at tables and over meals, sort of grassroots results of, of how the Archbishop was handling this. So to give our listeners who may not have a ton of background, just a slight bit of background, 1998, we have resolution 110 which expresses the Anglican communions, holding in an official way, a traditional view of Christian sexuality and marriage. And then at Lambeth this year, there are no resolutions. They've, we're experimenting with using what they're, what they called calls. We have a call on human dignity, which includes reference to resolution 110 and affirms it. And then as, as I'm understanding, and either of you can correct and nuance this please, the archbishop, Reaffirmed a traditional Christian view of marriage as the official position of the communion, that most people in the communion would affirm it. And yet, the archbishop was also clear that he wanted to hold together with this the serious theological and spiritual work of those who disagree and who want more official change on this regarding same sex blessings and same sex marriage, for example. So, What did you both see happening here from your perspectives? What were you happy or unhappy with? What gives you pause or hope? What's going on with you regarding this?
2: Thank you, Amber. Archbishop Justin is a man with extraordinary grace. And you could actually sense that he was a man of God trying very hard to hold the family together on a matter that is is obviously very divisive in in the Anglican family. And and I think at at the level of personality and magnanimity and grace, he's a very superb leader. And indeed he he received a standing ovation when he gave his speech uh, around Mm -hmm. the the matter of human sexuality and marriage. My my second comment would be that uh, in holding Both positions in his hands, coming from where I come from, and and, and this is the global south. My diocese is largely an evangelical diocese, and my context is, as a very strong Muslim population, most of my Christians, if not all, would not make sense of a different position on sexuality and marriage other than Resolution 110 of the 1998 Lambeth Conference. And so one would have hoped greater clarity and greater affirmation that indeed this is what the the Anglican Church holds and teaches on this question. So to speak, some kind of putting your foot down and saying that, that let there be no doubt that this is what we believe and that this is what we affirm. I suppose that Archbishop Justin may have been a little bit cautious to remain at the level of observation. So sort of describing what the state of affairs is. Right. The, status of, the state of affairs is that we, we haven't changed. Resolution 110 remains. However, we recognize that there are significant part of, of the Anglican family who think otherwise. Now, that to me was Politically helpful in terms of holding the house together. Mm-hmm. But, but in terms of affirming orthodoxy and affirming it, and it, become, it didn't meet the threshold of affirming orthodoxy, the threshold of indeed defending the gospel and saying that this is where we stand. And I, I believe with all my heart that Archbishop Justin is evangelical, I believe with all my heart that he holds the traditional view of marriage and sexuality. I suppose the political side of things sounded to me like it was just overwhelming and that he he probably had to keep looking over his shoulders and just to to try and figure out, So, how do I navigate through the pressures that are on my shoulders? So I, I, I suppose those Those would be my preliminary comments on how the matter was handled by his grace. Thank you.
0: Thank you. So we have, from your perspective, that this was observational, that he did an excellent job, politically speaking, and gracefully and observationally saying, here's the state of affairs. Here's where we are. Let us not disregard one another. Mm -hmm. And yet there were many, many people there, including it sounds like yourself, Bishop Joseph, who wanted something more, something a little more Definitive in that direction.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed.
0: Bishop Jenny, what was your perspective being there?
1: Yes, thank you, Amber. And and I would agree with much that my my brother here, Bishop Joseph, has said. I found it the most serious moment of the conference when Archbishop Justin spoke directly to the bishops. Hmm. Just the weight of his office and the weight of the teaching office of the role of bishops in the communion was felt when he told us to put our phones away. And he said, put your phones away and be present with me now as we talk about this. Hmm. It was an arresting moment. And I, I would agree very much with Bishop Joseph that I thought Archbishop Justin epitomized grace under immense pressure. I think many people spoke of being aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a quite Mm. tangible, almost physical way Mm. in the room when he spoke to the bishops. I also think that he was being descriptive rather than as proscriptive as people would want. He was describing the reality of the family. Because he wasn't overtly proscriptive, there was kind of room for people to find themselves in what he said. That was helpful to keep the family together. You know, I heard some people saying, well, 110 has now been received into the tradition of the church, capital C, even though he didn't proscriptively state it as the teaching of the Anglican Communion. I think that remains to be seen if it has been received into the tradition of the church, right? I I, I don't think we can actually pronounce that with any sense of of. You know, history is going to be the the prover of that, I mm-hmm. think. And you know, we're only you know one month out of Lambeth. So I don't think we can actually say that. I do think what he did that I personally found very helpful in my context is he helped, I think, the people on either sides of the issue see each other. Hmm that both sides of the issue can take the Bible seriously, can take the tradition of the church seriously, and can take evangelism and mission seriously. You know, as Bishop Joseph said, in in his context, even asking this question is befuddling. Like, what what are you talking about? (laughs) And Archbishop Justin named that. But he also named what I think is true, whether, whether we like it or not, that to not address the question of, is there a new understanding of marriage in the West is to hinder us evangelistically? Hmm. Even if you end up with a conservative answer, a traditional answer, to not even show authentic willingness to hear the other sides of the issue and, and wrestle with it, I think is going to hinder you from reaching new people. You know, in, in my context here in Toronto, if you're not willing to engage with this issue, people are not going to listen to you about anything else you have to say about Jesus. So, and I think the archbishop named that really clearly. And I think that was important for global South churches to hear where global North churches are in our evangelistic context. I think he helped people see each other. And in that sense, he was our chief pastor, which is what he's meant to do. And yeah, I'm not going to fault him for that uh, there, but for the grace of God, go I, I think that was an immensely difficult moment. But I think at Lambeth, he was fully leaning into his role as chief shepherd and pastor, and that's what he was trying to accomplish. And I think by and large, he did that. And I think we need to give great thanks to God for that and give great thanks to God for this man, Justin Welby. I mean, God bless him.
0: Yeah, let's pray for him for goodness sake. Now, tell me, did he exhort you guys at all? I mean, I'm hearing that there was some exhortation in terms of we need to be present with each other right now and not disregard one another, was there any exhortation at all beyond that? I would
2: say that the tone of the throughout the conference was largely exhortational. He did a series of Bible studies throughout our, our stay. And the content aside, I think his tone and his focus was, was hugely pastoral. So attempting to appeal to bishops to look at each other, if I may use Jenny's frame, and and to listen to each other and not to be too too harsh to one another and and to have an awareness that we we are redeemed by the grace of God. And so I I would say that in in terms of exhortation, it ran through his his reflections, Mm. you know, the Bible studies, um, and every moment he came on stage, I could actually see that he was a chief shepherd exhorting his wayward children, mm. or, or children who have tendencies to uh, to gnash at each other, and, and 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 inviting them into generous presence with each other. So that would be my sort of overall sense uh, around the notion and the practice of exhortation throughout the uh, Lambeth Conference.
1: This is a man who takes scripture very seriously. And you saw that just in how much he taught scripture to the bishops and made that a priority. I think he, went, went, you know, going back to the, the issue of human dignity, the call on human dignity, I don't think he, would, he was exhorting not specifically on Lambeth 110, but he certainly was exhorting throughout the conference you know, on scripture on one Peter specifically. Right. I mean, I will admit that's the most I've ever been soaked in one Peter, which was wonderful. And uh, I think that was a real, a real gift of his. And I I don't think you would have, I mean, I experienced him as literally our father and God uh, at the conference. You know, I mean that in the, in the biblical sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a gift for me personally to be like, Oh, that that's him. (laughs) Who is exhorting us as his children, and in, in a wonderful way?
0: That speaks to me and gives me so much encouragement. That the Archbishop of Canterbury, that you both had a sense that something about his presence is transmitting the presence of God to the people that he's around, and that's something really special to have. To have a leader that you can look at and say, not only could this guy possibly tell me what to do, but this This seems like someone who embodies a holiness who I can see as as an Abba as a spiritual father. That's really a gift,
1: oh, it was a huge gift. and And I mean, you know, he was there at every single worship service, like 715 Eucharist every morning, evening prayer, like at everything. He, he probably his- needed it. <laughs> Oh my gosh, but I thought, yeah. you know, God bless you. And and mm-hmm. I and I, I don't know about you, Joseph, but in the opening worship service at Canterbury Cathedral, I didn't see it because I was up high in the choir, but my husband saw it sitting in the body of the cathedral. Maybe your wife saw it, Joseph. But when he processed mm-hmm. in, he then prostrated himself on the steps of Canterbury Cathedral with the community members of St. Anselm, he was sort of laying himself down for the sake of unity of the communion. And I found that deeply moving. And then, yeah, and then apparently after the conference, he was then leading, which he must've been exhausted. He was then leading all the volunteers on a two-day retreat. It was just extraordinary how he lay he yeah. lays himself down for the communion.
2: And And, and I think that position of vulnerability is one that he occupied very, very powerfully. Hmm. Yes, Um, he did. Aware that the issues are weighty, aware that the Anglican family is large and complex. And so with that awareness, putting himself in a position, not to say that he is directing what ought to be believed or what ought to be done, but saying, well, pray for me, Let's think together around these things and agonize around these things and present ourselves before God around these things. And so I, I suppose a position of vulnerability is, is critical. And it's one that Archbishop Justin, I think he embodies it. And, and I suppose that is a, a, a real gift uh, in terms of holding the, this very diverse Anglican family. And, and let's be honest, a family that has some very harsh voices on both ends as well.
0: What is the Anglican Communion? Who are these Anglicans? Who are we? Where have we been? Where are we going? Join us in person to talk about this. Join the conversation. We will be in Oklahoma City, September 22nd to 23rd, for a conference we are calling Love's Redeeming Work Discovering the Anglican Tradition. This conference is perfect for leaders, including clergy, lay leaders, especially young leaders, young priests and deacons, curates, ordinands, seminarians. Teachers and catechists who are on your staff, if you yourself are one of these, or a very invested layperson, we invite you to join us in Oklahoma City. And today, I just decided to give all of our podcast listeners a 25% discount on all tickets. Just go to loves-redeeming-work.eventbrite.com. That's loves-redeeming-work.eventbrite.com and enter the coupon code FRIEND25 at checkout for 25% off all tickets. Hope to see you there. And I'm so glad that we're speaking of presence and the power of presence, because this is something else that was a thread running through the conference. So moving from the power of a presence to heal, let's move to some discussion of the power of presence to protest and not that healing and protest are in necessary conflict with one another. In fact, they can go hand in hand, certainly. But there were three major provinces that were missing, Uganda, Nigeria, and Rwanda, which represent together about 30% of all Anglicans worldwide they were boycotting the conference because they feel that a theologically conservative global south, particularly global south voice, is not being fully heeded and heard by a global north minority, and a minority who have historically been in charge of the Anglican communion, been sort of at the top levels of the Anglican communion. And it's a protest in some ways, I've heard it framed in this way, a protest against white privilege. And many Anglicans who did choose to attend did not participate in the opening Eucharist for similar reasons. They remained in their seats during communion. How do the both of you view these protests? Can you understand them? And how do you feel they affected the conference?
2: Well, Amber, for me, the absence of those providences was sad, to say the least, because they are valued, they are cherished members of the Anglican family, however, I think we we must understand where they are coming from. If you get back to Lambeth 110 and the decisions that were made then, a strong feeling that we haven't been faithful in terms of who should be on the table and who should not be on the table. And I think that is what feeds into that protest, but also a protest where Christian communities, where they serve, are besieged. They are confused, they are terrified, and they are asking, what is this that we hear you are discussing in the Anglican family? How can we make sense of this? This is what we have been taught. Over the years, this is what our fathers and mothers passed on to us. How can this ever become a subject of discussion or negotiation or re-theologizing, as it were? Is this a new gospel that you are bringing to us? So this is where those provinces who chose to be absent are coming from. And I think it's it's important for us to empathize uh, with them, uh, to feel with them, to wear their shoes, because that is the context within which they're coming from. But having said that, I think I would also agree that there's a sense in which not being on the table, on the family table, however much you disagree, is not helpful. It's not helpful because you lose your voice. It's not helpful because you you, you cannot listen to the other. You cannot see the other's face, as it were. It's not helpful because, in a sense, you take on a role of judgment, as it were. And so while I reckon, and I understand very well, my, my brothers and sisters, largely from Africa, and the decision they made, I'm also saddened that they have taken on a very, very extreme position. If you have disagreed with your brother or sister, and you hear that your parents have convened a fellowship at home, you don't refuse to come because you don't agree with your brother and sister. You turn up and you tell your brother or sister, brother, you you offend me with your behavior. However, you are part and parcel of my family. You are my blood. And indeed, we belong to one family, the blood of Jesus. And so, Amber, for me, that is what I would say. It It's, it, it, it's really, say, it's sad. We missed them, but we still value them and we cherish them. And my prayer is that uh, someday it can be possible for us to gather at one table and to look at each other again and to forgive one another and to share our burdens, our common burdens together.
1: Hmm. My brother has spoken so well. I don't really have much to add, Amber, and I really appreciate Bishop Joseph's perspective on this. Obviously, he has a perspective that's much richer and deeper and personal than, than mine here from the West. What I will say is that I appreciated how Archbishop Justin personally interviewed the Primate of Kenya, who was also not in attendance. And so there was a a wonderful way for the Archbishop of Kenya to be present on the screen at Lambeth and part of our family discussion. I thought that was a, a wonderfully pastoral, graceful moment that still respected the Primate of Kenya's decision, but still had him speak and join the family. And I also appreciated one of the calls at the end of the conference, we agreed to ask the Archbishop of Canterbury in, in the next few years to plan a meeting, to go and meet with the primates of those provinces of Rwanda, Nigeria, Uganda, to try and you know, move forward that conversation. And I thought that that was fantastic. And I think is a, a personal extension of the Ministry of Reconciliation that Archbishop Justin I think, has as a personal charism of the Holy Spirit and weighs heavily on his heart. So -hmm. I think if that's some action in one of the calls that comes out of Lambeth, that will be a great blessing to the worldwide body of Mm -hmm. Christ and the Anglican communion in particular. And we pray will be a a pathway back to uh, Nigeria, Rwanda, Uganda as provinces, and also some individual dioceses that didn't attend Mm -hmm. to being woven back together into the communion.
0: Thank you so much for those nuances and and enrichments of of this issue. It makes such a difference to have been there in person and not only heard the things that you can then read in a news feature afterward, but also to just sense what's happening in the room. That's so important. Bishop Jenny, are you saying that there is a suggestion that, or is there a plan that instead of these provinces who were boycotting going to the Sea of Canterbury, the Sea of Canterbury is coming to them? and knocking on their door and saying, hey, can we come to your house for dinner?
1: Yes, I, I can't remember the exact wording. I don't have the calls in front of me. <laughs> Amber, it was a lot of paper every day.
0: You didn't memorize them all?
1: I know, I know. But you know, one of the bullet points and one of the calls at the end of the conference was, I think, a, a motion or an indication that we would ask the Archbishop of Canterbury to be reaching out uh, specifically mm. to these three provinces. Mm. His part of his own ministry of reconciliation, it's one of his priorities for his archiepiscopal ministry and the See of Canterbury. So I think, you know, what, what better man than Justin Welby to reach out and say, hey, can I come to your house for dinner? Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something for us to pray into as a communion, to pray personally for the archbishop in that ministry of reconciliation and that. Hearts would soften and minds would be open to have that conversation.
2: Um, but I think I would add that it would be continuing ministry because I, I think Archbishop Justin has been extremely outgoing and reaching out to the larger communion, perhaps a lot more than his predecessor. So I suppose this would be a continuing sense that it is important that just as the father in the house, he he makes deliberate intentional efforts to, to, to reach out to his sons and daughters wherever they are, and to encourage them, and to pray with them, to cry with them, to celebrate with them uh, because we, we are one family. But, but I also wanted to add something. That we could easily forget the role of his wife. I, I think it, it mm-hmm. was very moving to see Carolyn Welby present at, at, at most of the meetings we were and the warmth yes. of her hospitality. I, yes. I, I think that that was a, a very, very, very huge contribution to the conference. And I, I think he, he really, in a remarkable way, supported. The, the Ministry of his grace, the archbishop, but also in her own right, extended her heart to us, and we, we really felt very, very warmly welcome.
0: Thank you for adding that. I've heard I've heard you both mention your spouses and the Bishop Joseph. you <sighs> mentioned Carolyn Welby. What difference does it make to have spouses who are who some are clergy and many are not? At something like the Lambeth Conference, and I know there's some controversy about same-sex spouses and, you know, whether or not they would be invited. And and so I know that that's there, but what difference does it make just to have your spouse there at the Lambeth Conference?
1: I can only speak for my husband, Tim, and and you're right to name Amber the controversy and the pain for a number of, of bishops who were not able to have their spouses in attendance, uh, you know, my husband—he—he he, his hope was renewed uh, in the power of God, and I think wow. uh, meeting spouses—you know, day in and day out. who who serve the church and serve our Lord in the midst of great suffering and great persecution, renewed his hope in the power of God. And that, that was just a wonderful gift for him. And that was a huge gift for us to experience together. And I think being able to debrief and process and pray through all that I experienced and found challenging, you know, with my husband was a huge gift. You know, my husband has his own career outside of the church But uh, in many parts of the communion, as as Bishop Joseph knows only too well, the bishop's spouses, most of whom are wives, are mama a school food. They're the the mother of the diocese. So I think honoring their ministry Mm -hmm. and looking at how they can be equipped and supported, many of whom we met many of the wives from the Church of South Sudan who are ministering in a war zone and how are we supporting these incredibly courageous women most of them were of course well 99% of them were from that diocese, from that province you know these are heroic people who are serving, and so I think it is wonderful to build those networks, to pray, and to look at how we can support and encourage these courageous uh, servants of the Lord. I mean, it's incredibly humbling. Uh, as a white woman of Western privilege, to to be you know in, in their presence was incredibly humbling
0: and hope renewing. That's wonderful. What was it like for you, Bishop Joseph, to have your wife there with you?
2: Oh, it. It was very enriching, Amber. Back in Kenya, where I am based, my ministry would operate at only 50% if I didn't have Brenda around me. Hmm. The way I see it is that she actually carries 50% of my ministry with her. The vast majority of members of our churches in my diocese are women. Brenda takes care of those women. Her mere presence in a church service means a lot to the hundreds of thousands of women in attendance. Mm,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Her hospitality in our home, day by day, is an entire ministry in the life of the Diocese of Mumias. The number of funerals that she accompanies me to And her ability to listen to the bereaved and to pray with them Mm. is an overwhelming ministry. And so for me to be with her at Lambeth and for her to attend the spouse's programs and all the conversations that were going on there, she tells me she is more than enriched. And coming back, home. I'm sure that she has a lot that she has brought back with her. Uh, One of the possible projects she's she's exploring was making of uh, affordable sanitary pads for young girls in Kenya. And she's come back with literature, uh, pamphlets around how that can be done in in a context such as ours that has an abject poverty and, and where... Young girls of puberty age and above, their families can hardly afford a single sanitary pad. And and so issues of hygiene and issues of human dignity and their their sense of esteem are are impacted. So these are real, real uh, issues that Brenda has brought back with her from Lambeth Conference. And I very much look forward to supporting her as she figures out and imagines and re-imagines the focus of her ministry with me.
0: Well, God bless you, Brenda, and God bless you, Tim, and God bless you, (laughs) Carolyn. These partners in life, but also counselors, sounding boards, people who cook amazing meals and show hospitality and who simply support you and listen to you at three o'clock in the morning when you're stressed and can't sleep and, and are warriors for the gospel alongside you. So if you're a clergy spouse and you're listening, and I have many clergy spouses in my family too, thank you. And may God reward you richly for everything that people don't see that you do, as well as the things people do see. One thing that I am wondering about in your time at the Lambeth conference is this might help sum up actually a few questions I had written down. At what moments at the Lambeth conference did you find yourself most thinking of your own people, the people at home who you minister among? So in education circles, they talk about different levels of of thinking there's the level where you're kind of taking it all in. There's the level you're, where you're repeating it back. And then there's the critical thinking level where your wheels are really turning and you're applying everything that you're hearing and seeing right away to some context in your life. So what were those critical thinking or critical heart moments for you at Lambeth conference where you were sort of there at the Lambeth conference, but also whatever was going on around you, you were also already really thinking about your people and considering how these things could affect or benefit your people?
1: Mm -hmm. I think one very practical way was renewed in my excitement around the ministry of church planting. And hearing all the church planting growth that is going on around the communion, you know, both in the in England, in the Church of England, but also, you know, all over the rest of the communion. And we're moving forward with the beginning of a church plant here at St. Paul's Bloor Street in Toronto, working with the Diocese of Toronto. And I just got renewed and excited about that and reminded that my the issue is not resources. <laughs> the issue is leaning into the power of God, the Holy Spirit to, mm. to do amazing Things You can get so stuck on resources in, in North America. And to be reminded, that's actually not the key issue. So I think I, I found that very practically helpful and practically renewing. And I've already begun talking about that with St. Paul's. I, w- I was also renewed in the emphasis on discipleship and how are we continuing to be intentional. Joseph talked about his wife taking home some pamphlets. I took home some resources about Jesus-shaped life. Anglican focus on discipleship in the communion, and I thought there's some really great stuff here for how we're forming uh, faith in the next generation here in Toronto. So that was, you know, once again, a renewed emphasis, a renewed focus, and I think I was also and I've already I shared this last Sunday when I preached for the first time back from the conference was how are we in my context called to bless the persecuted and suffering church and they bless us with their faithfulness and their steadfastness what are the practical ways that we're called to bless and partner a suffering and persecuted church which is the bulk of the anglican communion so the, those were some of the convictions it was church planting renewed focus on discipleship and where's god calling us to bless a suffering and persecuted church
0: mm. and goes straight back to the early church too and and absolutely right in the root system bishop yeah. joseph what would you say
2: Many things were very, very exciting. I want to begin with the discipleship, which Jenny has mentioned. My context is a context where churches are being born every other year, and people are coming to the Lord. Our dem- demographics are such that we we are a very, very youthful church, and um, so. Mm. Uh, lots of children and young people in our churches, a lot of work going on in schools in Anglican founded schools in my diocese alone we have over one hundred thousand uh, students uh, and that is just that is just schools so the the question of discipleship is is critical and uh, as we reflected at at Lambert conference, it came to me in a very very powerful way that how do we cope with an overwhelmingly growing church and nurturing new believers in such a way that they are strong disciples who, who are able to witness the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the second thing in Mumia's diocese uh, is 50-50, uh, 50 Christians and 50 Muslim. So a question of, of, of how do we prepare Christians in such a way that they are able to tell the story of Jesus in a compelling way in an environment that has a a very, very strong Muslim population. And and, and thirdly, Amber, the question of climate change
1: Mm. and Mm. how it
2: impacts Mm. our communities. I I am in a context where food scarcity is, is, is a reality, but most of the people are not sure where they will get food the next meal because the rains are unpredictable. Extreme weather conditions, flooding, every other year and people having to move away from their homes to be be displaced because of flooding. And so how do we, carrying over from Lambeth, how do we become agents of transformation and rebirth and reconciliation with mother earth? And and, and one of the very practical interventions we are doing soon is around tree planting.
0: Mm. uh, Mm. Praise God.
2: uh, uh, Trying by the grace of, of God as a diocese uh, uh, as a, as a larger christian and non christian community to spearhead planting of trees as 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 one of the very very practical interventions that we we could take and and, and all this really you know as as sparking off from lambeth conference and, and a very very deep conversation that went on there
0: well this has been a, a deeply moving conversation for me feeling angry feeling sad feeling, feelings of rejoicing and, and co rejoicing. So I've got some things certainly to pray about and, and think about, and hopefully everyone who's listening has been encouraged and also has food for thought. I know that they do. And I've been speaking today with the right Reverend Jenny Anderson and the right Reverend Dr. Joseph Wandera. Jenny, Joseph, thank you again, so much for being with me today.
1: Oh well, it's it's been a real delight, and I'm so glad technology lets us do this. So
2: thank you so much. Absolutely, thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you, thank Amber, you. for hosting us.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. Our producer today was Leslie Thompson. In two weeks, join us for that back to school conversation that I've been promising you about ministry to recent grads and young adults with Teresa Wilson of Louisville, Kentucky after college can be one of the worst times in life, but not for Louisville fellows. The program combines discipleship with career coaching and practice at messy community for Gen Z. Can't wait, can't wait to share that with you. Until then, I'm your host, Amber Noel, and it's been good to be with you. Peace.